Unleashed No Hope, the podcast. <laughs> she owns ping pong bars. Five, four, three, two, one. I think that was the best we've ever really? done. Like we, okay. we, I think we hit the one. I am almost positive Five, four, that we three, hit two, the one. one. We cut that be- out, dear listeners, so you don't have to listen to a struggle from counting from five to one to try to align our audio tracks. But Because we know. have been told by our producer several times that we still haven't gotten it down. Yeah, well, <laughs> uh, look at this. We're giving you some insight into the process behind the curtain. And guess what? We have made it back for season 20. Either Oprah didn't season hear 20? us. Season, I said season 20. Oh season my God. 20. We'll be God. dead by then. Uh, anyway, so she's either on her way to, or, you know, to kill us personally, or, you know, that she's just ordered the hit, but it hasn't happened yet. Yeah, she's definitely not responsible personally for us. Like, it, we would have to be much higher level if she was going to kill us by, by you know, in, in with her own by hands. By her own hand, with a yes. can- candlestick in Washington Heights. Yes, um, exactly, exactly. So I'm Tim Miller, And I'm Scott Schneider. And this is No Hope the Podcast. Yay. And this is episode number 20. Not season Which 20. we are calling our final episode of season one. So breathe a so, big sigh of relief. You did it. You made it through. God, if you made it this far, <laughs> I have to say we are so grateful to the two or three of you that <laughs> are listening Soldiering to this episode. On, listening to our musings. Uh. I do love see as we have talked about so many times, I love seeing where people are listening from. Because yeah. if you listen from a platform like Spotify or Apple, we can't we don't have any mm. idea who you are, but we can see where you are. And we have some listeners in Belgium. We have some listeners in Saudi Arabia as I've as I've noted before. I think recently um I'm pretty sure Ireland was on there recently. Okay. There's some other country too that I, for now, like I'm not remembering properly, but uh, it's yeah, it's it's just fascinating to know like how do people find this podcast? I don't hashtag. know. I guess hashtag Trans- hashtag vaginal mesh. Hashtag Oprah Winfrey bad actor. What? Hashtag um, that might get some notice. <laughs> hashtag season twenty. No, um, it yeah, it's it's insane to think we recorded these first two episodes in December of 2019, and we were like and, in real life at Michael's apartment because yeah, know, that was that was the before, and then we decided to keep doing this. Yeah. And ever since we have been recording in our separate apartments, um, not necessarily because we are afraid that one of us has the virus yeah. and is going to spread it to the other, but I guess because we don't really have a space. I was going to say, it's simply to, a matter of convenience yeah, and necessity. Yeah. I do think it will be fun if we could possibly record in the same room again to, uh, at some point. I do think that would be it's certainly fun, achievable. But. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, this is thrilling. Um, yes. Yes. Sh- what should we do? Should we do some rewinds? Rewind. We should definitely do some rewinds because I think okay. you have. I did a few of them. I did. Right? Yeah. I have. I have some. I have some. Uh, an episode. Ooh. 
18? Yes, 18. When we talked about Love Janice and the producers, I have some rewinds on Love Janice. Um, well, first there was a question of when was It Ain't Nothing But The Blues, which was a Broadway show, a review, uh, same creator as Love Janice. It oh, ran, right. Okay. It ran right, in late right. 1999 on Broadway at the Ambassador Theater. So that the, now you know. Um, there was a question of whether does Love Janice still tour I had a little bit of trouble with this. Uh, the last run I could find was at the Alley Theater in Houston, Texas, uh, but that was back in January 2008. Uh, however, oh, wow. however, there was a Broadway show called A Night with Janis Joplin that I very vaguely remember oh that ran for 141 performances more recently in 2013. Uh, the musical is presented as Janis Joplin backed by a band of hippies performing a concert in 1970, shortly before she dies of a drug overdose at age 27, of course. Uh, among other reviews, the New York Post characterized it as sanitizing Janis Joplin and serving as a vehicle for power-piped Mary Bridget Davies to mostly stick to the music. Um, so it didn't seem to stick along around. I too remember long, but that. I kind of did vaguely yeah. remember that, but yep. didn't have interest in seeing it. I think I was like, felt no need, you know, because I had such yep. an affinity for Love Janice and in this small venue and all of that. I was like, I don't yeah. need to see a yep. Broadway juke, jukebox musical on Janice. Um, <clears throat> there I go, clearing my throat. Um, <laughs> so it's like clockwork. Uh, so, oh, some. Yeah, we wanted a little more background about the Janis Joplin biopic that still hasn't happened. Uh, and I, I still don't see anything that's like solidly in the pipeline, but I did find this article in uh, EW, which listed all, which noted the fact that there's been talk of, you know, many, many people trying to put one together since, honestly, since the 1990s. Um, and it listed off all the actresses who have at one point been attached to a in the works Jan Janis Joplin film. And they include some we mentioned and some we did not. Uh, Pink, who we mentioned. Melissa Etheridge, I think you might have mentioned, yeah, right? Yep, yeah. Yep. And then I feel like the rest of these we did not mention. Uh, Brittany Murphy, uh, which oh. I kind of vaguely remember. Renee Zellweger, I kind of remember that too. Amy Adams, this was a more recent one. What? Uh, yeah, Michelle Williams, a more recent one. Reese Witherspoon. What? Zooey Deschanel. <laughs> what? Uh, and the last one, which I love, is Courtney. It's Lo not Zooey, by is the way. It's Zoe. <laughs> you know what? It's Zooey. She, she, when I look at her, I'm like, Zooey. I mean, that's probably so, not as bad as Lachance, but it's pretty bad. It's pretty bad. She is a little precious and twee and twee and uh, like all of that. So, Zooey, sorry for mispronouncing your name. God, we're gonna really just like we <laughs> burn some bridges with these two episodes. Well, the good thing is, is that we don't have any fans, so we exactly. don't really have to worry about. That. <laughs> it's just trashing people who have better careers than we do. Okay, so Courtney. Courtney Love uh, was the last one I wanted to mention. Courtney, Courtney That's Love. That's pretty fascinating. <laughs> Except she's she's isn't she like my age or older? Oh, I do. Yeah, I mean, so uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm like, how would that work? Like, yeah. that's a stretch. Oh, but this is, I love this quote, though. In 2013, the singer told Huffington Post, I was offered to play Janis Joplin. I'm prettier than Janis Joplin, so it's always like that. Whatever. 
Oh my god. She is that such woman a beast. Is a fucking nut. She is a Although piece she was really good in that one movie. Um Oh, uh, the Edward Le- Norton Larry Larry the, Flint movie. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. The people get the people yeah. versus Larry Flint. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um so love Janice. The last thing is, you know, you all all of you listeners now know our dear friend Dawn and her illustrious career which you also now know about. And you also heard that she worked at a Cleveland Playhouse. She reached out to us after listening to these episodes and told us, you know, with some astonishment, oh my God, because we chose to talk about this musical. She was the PSM when this show played at Cleveland Playhouse. Um, which then, is where it originated, right? Uh, sure. It was one in the list of regional because like, it had like a long stretch of regional uh, uh, regional productions. Um, yeah. And then she told us this story, which I will preface with allegedly, allegedly this may have happened, which is that one of the, one of the Janice, one of the actresses who played Janice, who will not be named, uh, may or may not have peed on the floor backstage one night during the show. (laughs) She didn't think she could make it to the bathroom before the next entrance. Uh, Dawn made her mop it up at intermission while still in her full Janice costume, allegedly, allegedly. Uh, The bathroom was only 15 steps away. Uh, The actress was drinking a lot of diet nature health food drinks at the time uh, in order to get skinny for a photo shoot. The next day, the crew set up black flats and put a portable toilet inside (laughs) with a roll of toilet paper, all of which she never used. So, allegedly. I didn't hear that part. She she didn't tell (laughs) me that She never used it. So, of course, when she told me this story, I, one, died laughing. But then, two, you know, I will say that sometimes when you got to go, you got to go. I was... Myself, I feel like, didn't I take a cab ride once with you where I had to have the cab pull over so I could like jump out and like pee on the street? Like that yeah. definitely was a thing that happened oh, once. But uh, yes, in the park. I think we were probably, in the middle of the park. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Similarly, I was in high school show choir with a girl who peed backstage at Disneyland. We were getting, <laughs> we were getting ready to go on stage. She reached under her hot pink sequin skirt, pulled down her nude dance briefs, and squatted over a shrub and just like went to town in front of all of us. I mean, the girl was like definitely a bit of a mess. She once bit me in the shoulder when we were standing off stage, like next to each other, like just totally unprovoked. Um, oh my God. Uh, she also had a fairly significant eating disorder. So when I oh. mentioned this to Dawn, she was like, well, she was probably just hungry. Um, <laughs> Um, one time one time uh my pee story which is i think fairly unique is john and i were coming home i'm pretty sure from joe's pub okay and we were in a cab on the fdr and it was like there had been an accident or there was a traffic jam and i got out of the cab (laughs) in the middle of a traffic jam and peed like next to the cab because i was like on the fdr on on the fdr because i was like i if i don't get out of this cab right now i'm going to pee in the cab wow i was the cab driver just you know, it's like, went well, with it, of I mean, course. They've seen it all. It's New York, yeah. I mean, I was driving once in horrible traffic in Chicago, and I couldn't get out of the car. And likewise, but I was like the one and only person in the car, and I was the driver, and I was like gonna wet my pants, so I peed in a <laughs> cup, like a big gulp <laughs> cup or something. So, <laughs> so it's like you yeah, had the love Janice story is like funny, but I'm like. Oh. 
you know? It's it's very relatable. <laughs> it's relate- you know? That's relatable big... content. That's yes, what we're providing yes, here. Yes, yes. Um, so, wow, it's hard to follow that, but I think I have a couple of rewinds maybe for episode uh, 17, the the previous episode. Um, oh, we wanted to know if there was a porn based on the Hardy Boys Oh, right. Um, yes, 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 yes. Fortunately, I was not like logged into my work computer when I was searching for this because like, oof, there's some stuff came up, but uh, it was not like I didn't like there's, really find what I wanted, no, but there's not a direct, no, there's not a there direct, was not like a direct hit on like, you know, some famous porn, porn, uh, if I'm saying that right, <laughs> um, called the Hardy Boys, but um I did discover that in 2016 there was a burlesque show at the, here here in New York at the Lori yep. Beachman called Nasty Drew and that Harder Boy, which was burlesque stars Chris Harder and Nasty Canasta. So um, yeah, and like a little like vignette or a little you know I saw I found a little like uh, article about it. It said while honoring the originals, Harder and Canasta keep their tongues firmly planted in their cheeks, delivering lines chock full of double entendre and flares of witty homoeroticism. They bring spice and heat with sexy strip teases along with burlesque burlesque staples like Pearl's Daily, Fancy Feast, Bastard Keith, and Mr. Gorgeous. I love the name Fancy Feast. Fancy like, fantastic as a burlesque name. Um Yes. So that was a fun little thing to stumble upon. I, I wish I'd seen that. I totally would have had to see that. I remember when oh, that you? was, yeah, I do remember that. Cause I like, I, I have uh, followed him in various okay. capacities. If you, over the, if over you will, the years. yes, if you will. Um, De- Debbie I'm does. Pretty sh- oh no, go ahead. I'm pretty sure that he is. Cause you know, he has done some, uh, some, some pornography oh. in, in his, in his time, in his time. I did not know But I'm that. pretty sure that he is, um, getting his creative, uh, master's in creative writing at Hunter college right now. I oh. follow him on like Instagram or something. I was like, so. do you know that from stalking him or something? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yep. Gotcha. Uh, just wanted to be sure about that. So, um, Debbie does Dallas. I think you were asking what theater it played in. You might have been right. I'm trying to now remember where did where did you say that you thought it was? Uh, oh, fuck. Did I say Le Poisson Rouge? Oh yeah, no. you did. So you were wrong. It was the okay. off. It had its off Broadway run at the Jane Street Theater. Oh yeah, yeah. Which I now remember. that's a great theater. It is a great theater. Yeah. Um, it, but it originally started in the Fringe. I don't remember if we said that. I don't think we did because I, I don't, don't think, think I knew we that. Did. But yeah, nope. it started at the Fringe and then had off Broadway run at the Jane Street Theater. Um, what else? Oh, uh, was there a musical made about Bill and Hillary and Monica? I kind of like even as I was asking that question, knew the answer, which is yeah, there was Clinton the musical, which was kind of recent. Played off Broadway in the spring of 2015 and started at Nymph. Um, Actually, in the, oh, yeah. in the off-Broadway run, Kelly, uh, I'm sorry, Carrie Butler played Hillary. Uh, you know Carrie Butler, right? She's been a bunch of stuff. I most do, known but I for can't... most known for Xanadu, the musical. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and Judy Gold played Eleanor Roosevelt, who I guess oh. is a character in this musical, which I'm confused about. Uh, Monica apparently has a song called Monica Song, which also gets a reprise in Act Two. I learned via looking at the track listing. Um, yeah. 
Uh, so that was the thing. I tried to look up Mountain Dew statistics, if you can believe it. It's pretty much corroborated what you suspected, that it's taken a nosedive. But that they started a new, they sort of rebranded it and, uh, and marketed it for, like, gamers. Like... And now it's like yeah. M- now it's like MTN do like they've like rebranded it, uh, but yeah, you know you were right though it's definitely like taken a, a dip in terms of sales in favor of energy drinks. Although they all all the articles I found sort of said that it was like a precursor to energy drinks, like based on its like uh, like uh, additional caffeine content. Um, uh, all during all during grad school, I would buy um, cases of Mountain Dew, and it would it would be my breakfast drink because I didn't used to drink oh, coffee. Shit. So I would wake up and drink a Mountain Dew, and you sometimes are definitely Mountain Dews. definitely gonna get some horrible cancer from that. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah. I mean, the crap that I put into my body. Uh, we didn't know any better, or we, we did, or we did, and just didn't care because we were young and stupid. Um, yeah. Now you drink like what kombucha? Uh, I mean, I wish I tried. <laughs> <laughs> Just wheat, coffee, wheat, coffee grass, and water, wheat coffee and grass. water. Yeah, I pretty much exist I, on co- coffee, I, water, and tea. I do drink wheatgrass, and I do, do drink um, uh, ginger shots frequently oh. these days, wow. which I find to be really, really good for the immune system. Hmm. By the way, I'll I'll keep that in mind. Uh, was Elton John's biography biography really called me? Yes, it was. That's all I've got there. <laughs> all I had to do was look at my bookshelf for that one. Um, was Conway Twitty really a rock and roll r- rival of Elvis? Yes, he was. When his song, You Disbelieve Me, when his song It's Only Make Believe was first released, uh, because of vocal sim- similarities, many listeners assumed that the song was actually recorded by Elvis Presley using Conway Twitty as a pseudonym. My hopes, my dreams come true. My one and only you. Twitty would go on to enjoy rock and roll success with songs including Danny Boy, Pop Number 10, and Lonely Blue Boy, Pop Number 6. Anyway, it was a thing, pre his country music career. Okay, um, that is crazy. I think I actually might know that first song that you that you mentioned. Really? But huh. Not I. Although I did really enjoy uh, getting to know, uh, what was it, Tight Fitting Jeans? Tight Fitting Jeans. That song is ridiculous. It's so... <laughs> it was hard for me to just find the best or rather worst 30 seconds of it for us to include. Um do you do you care about any of the Bye Bye Birdie plot stuff? I'm I'm happy to not talk about um, it. Not really, but I yeah. I have one tiny rewind that's oh, okay. related to Bye Bye Birdie, which Let's is that. that Matt Doyle's second Broadway show. Yeah. Matt Doyle being one of my Broadway yeah. boyfriends. Yeah. Um, was Bye Bye Birdie, and he played Hugo Peabody. Yeah, I know. I told you that in the podcast. Oh, you? T- <laughs> yes. <laughs> my God. <laughs> That's not a rewind. Maybe for your brain, it's a rewind. I'm like, I told you that. Oh, oh thank you okay. for that. Um, so <laughs> what I wanted to rewind on Bye Bye Birdie was that uh, 
is that that like uh, that song put on a happy face when i was like ruminating over it i was like yes okay it is patently ridiculous of course that the like the girl like she's like i'm gonna be too old for conrad when he gets out of the army and she's like a teenage girl but then i was like no no no. the reason this is such an obnoxious song is its entire premise is like an older man telling a young girl to smile and like not feel her feelings and act happy it's like like uh, i mean right i mean and how oh, much it's so... like it's such like a trigger you know yes and I like mean... and like it just me as an old like even somebody just in general tells you to like smile when smile you're not feeling more. exactly it's smile so more obnoxious. you should smile more hate that Hate that, oh, hate that, hate and that. And I mean, yes. And the fact that it's directed to the female yes. is obviously Makes it even, even more obnoxious. More obnoxious. Uh, and he's like older. Um, lastly, I was like flubbing, trying to remember some of the singers of like, you know, 1990s adult contemporary uh, radio. <clears throat> I kind of mentioned Pebo Bryson. Oh, Pebo. Uh, yeah. So yeah. Yep. So I looked up some of the you know, Disney. Know. We I, I know looked, Pebo. I looked up some of the Disney radio singles from their their movie, uh, from their films. Um, so Aladdin was, of course, a whole new world, which was Pebo Bryson and Regina Bell. Uh, which actually, when I was looking up Pebo, Pebo, I always say, keep saying Pebo, Pebo, and Roberta Flack. Do you remember the song? Tonight I celebrate oh, my love. Tonight, I love that song. I celebrate. My I love, love that song for you. So cheesy. I did not remember that Peebo Bryson did uh, a whole new yes. world. Yes, and that, I and am surprised by that. He was like the go-to because he, he and Celine Dion did Beauty and, and the Beast. Oh, yeah. God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I didn't and then Colors of the Wind from Pocahontas. That was Vanessa Williams. Of course. And then this one, I was like, oh my God, I don't remember. From The Hunchback of Notre Dame, God Help the Outcast by Bette Midler. What? I was listening to it. I've and never I heard was that like, song. I barely remember this. Song. And it is like so... It's like almost like Bette Midler, like doing an over the top, like parody version of her like 1980s cheesy, like radio si- singles. Like it is so bad and over the top. And all of these have like that, like horrible, like um, uh, you know, like '90s, like heavy synthesizer production, production. like just so cheesy. Uh, This is not Disney, but do you remember from um, an American Tale? Somewhere out there, let's. My friend, my friend Charlene and I auditioned with this fucking song (laughs) at the Pancake Day Talent Contest, and we did not get in. Let me just say, is absolutely rude and uncalled for yeah that was or maybe it was my friend gina it was either gina or charlene Hmm. damn it or charlene yeah um well the radio version was linda ronstadt and james ingram who i don't remember that at all um 
I kind of didn't. It was mind. a great song, it though. Was, I was love gonna, that song. I'm going to say I don't mind that song. That's uh, a great song. Other adult contemporary hell artists of the time were Natalie Cole. I used to not be able to deal with her at all. Uh, Amy Grant. Remember her? Of course baby, I remember baby. Amy Grant. I loved Amy Grant. My friend Bethany got me into Amy Grant. Yeah. I mean, she was super Jesus-y, but yeah, whatever. Uh, Richard Marks. Yeah. Hello, uh, Richard Marks. Right uh, here waiting. Right here waiting. And Hold On you. To The Night, which was our senior theme hold prom song. Hold On To The Night. <laughs> yep. God. Somebody should do a Richard Marks musical. Get on that. Uh, Brian Adams. Yeah, of course. Of course. Peter Cetera. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> so bad. That song that he does with Cher. Yeah. After all that we've been, been through, through. it all comes down to me and you. Uh, Lionel Richie, of course. Like, I feel yeah. bad about saying it, but let's be honest, he was kind of adult contemporary during that decade. Uh, no, he was he was pop. He was pop. Okay. Dancing on the ceiling and all those songs. Okay. Those were pop songs. He moved so. into, I think, adult contemporary. <laughs> or maybe he sort of straddled. He was he a straddler. He was a straddler. He was a yeah. straddler. Uh, and Anita Baker is the other one I wrote down. But you yeah. had some good yeah. examples last uh, last time. So, uh, yeah. So, oh my God, can you imagine how boring like an adult contemporary musical would be? <laughs> it would be like... Well, yeah. I mean... You'd have to make you, the plot yeah. like really racy to, to get through that musical. Um, That's it. That's all I got. Okay. It's a lot. Okay. But anyway. It is a lot. Uh, wait, did I mention that Matt Doyle's uh, second Broadway show <laughs> after Spring Awakening was Spring Bye Awakening. Bye Birdie? <laughs> no. Oh, my God. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Glad, yeah. That we, glad that we figured that out. I didn't think that you knew that. Um, all right. So because we apparently only have like you either are talking about junior high or yeah. I am talking about grad school. It's pretty much yeah, those, those are the two, windows those are the of two points of that we yeah, where in. everything where everything <laughs> sort of exists in a wormhole or something. Um, I was working at the Cleveland Playhouse. Oh. Watching people um, pee themselves. Well, <laughs> I wish I, I wish I had. No, I don't think that was the production was going on then. In fact, I know it wasn't when when I was there, um, because I was working on as I referenced when we were talking with Don uh, on this Edgar Allan Poe project with this crazy Czech director named Pavel Dabruski, mm-hmm. um, and the artistic director, ugh, the artistic director, asked me if I would take notes for another director's production during what I cannot remember for sure if it was like the final tech rehearsals or if they were actually previews. I can't remember quite definitively. Um, it was certainly working up to the opening of this uh, regional production of, of this musical, but I, I can't remember. Um, it stressed me out because uh, I was in graduate school for directing, and one of the things that I had had to do was take notes for my the head of my program and, and my mentor uh, during rehearsals of The Country Wife. And I, you may or may not remember that I have fucking awful handwriting and have pretty much since like the fourth grade well we share so we share that trait actually i was bad he he like you know openly like badgered me for it in front of everyone at the rehearsal and was actually quite angry so i was like super stressed out that i had to take notes because i was like oh my god i have to get this right um I mean, it was a, it was, it was nice that it wasn't the country wife, and it was also nice that this musical was in 
you know, it was very close to opening. So obviously it wasn't like a, a mess. It was, it was quite good, but I, I got to see it three nights in a row, which is, you know, fairly unusual to see the same show three nights in a row. Um, and, and even though I didn't consider myself a lover of musicals and, and probably still don't, although certainly I am more now than I used to be. Um, I was like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. I'm going to enjoy it. I'm going to make the best of it. And, um, you know, the first night it was, I probably didn't hear that much of it because I was so focused on just paying attention to what he was telling me and making sure that he could read my handwriting. But because, as I said, the show was in such a good place, um, I think the second night I was able to watch it a little bit more. And by the third night, which was probably, yeah, either the final preview or the final dress, I was probably pretty much fully engaged. And I and I somehow managed to not piss off the director, um, as I said, because the show is in such good shape. So. I had never been in a long-term relationship. I think I was, what, 26 years old, 27 years old. Um, and even though the, uh, the, 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 the musical is actually about someone who is unable to commit to a relationship, not necessarily because he has no options, but because he mm. sort of has a fear of commitment or who knows, maybe something else is going on. I really identified with him and the story and the characters around him. And I really liked them. And, and like I said, over the course of the three nights, I um, just had grew to have a, a, an enormous amount of affection for what was happening on stage. Uh, I had only barely lived in New York then. I had lived there for 14 weeks over the course of a summer several years back, but I knew I was likely headed back there to to try to do again the thing I had not before, which was to find a way to live and hopefully find a way to live, you know, doing theater. And incidentally, I have never seen a production of this musical since, (laughs) but it is so incredibly iconic that it has been a part of my life because whether I was watching the famous documentary of the cast recording or seeing Adam Driver sing one of the most incredible musical theater songs ever written in the somewhat recent film, The Marriage Story. And that musical is, of course, Company. Company. Um, and I thought it was also appropriate to talk about a Stephen Sondheim musical I that know. I loved Book since the things. very first <laughs> thing that I talked about was a Stephen Sondheim musical that I hated, which is Sweeney Todd, which I still hate exactly as much as I used to. Um, so here's a little bit about, about Company. It was written in 1970. Um, I can't imagine how it didn't feel ahead of its time. Like it's still, I mean, even though, yes, there's obviously it's dated in yeah. a lot of ways, it still feels so relevant to, to those things that I was talking about, like to relationships and certainly to living in New York. Um, so it was written in 1970 uh, with music and lyrics by Stephen Sondheim and a book by George Firth. It won six Tonys, including Best Musical, Best Book of a Musical, Best Score, Best Lyrics. This was uh, a, a something that I learned that I don't know when it changed, but Best uh, Score used to be separate from Best Lyrics. So you had two different Tony Awards for Score oh. and Lyrics. Hmm. And then I think okay. it changed either that very next year or shortly thereafter. Um, also for direction and scenic design. Elaine Stritch was nominated but did not win, despite that probably being one of the most iconic performances of, of her course. career and something yeah. that she is certainly known for um, still to this day. 
It toured in 1971. There was a West End production that opened in 1972. In 1995, that's how long it was before there was a Broadway Mm. and West End revival. So what is that? That's like... T- almost 25 years, years yeah. 23 years before there was a revival it's of this musical, done like which a is lot. crazy. It's done a lot recently, though. Yes. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure that he makes a pretty penny on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a very successful, I remember after leaving that I checked and, and everybody was like, oh, yeah, it's huge. And they, I think, pretty sure they extended it at the Cleveland Playhouse when they wow. did it that that um, that year. And I think it was a bit of a 98, maybe. So, um, and then in 2006, there was another Broadway revival, which I w- really wish I had seen with Raul Esparza. Uh, that's usually the soundtrack that I listen to when I, I listen to that. it. I should have seen um, that. And it really bums me out that I didn't, but alas. And then there was a, a, a 2018 West End revival, which would have come over come similar to Looked, the color purple to broadway that production was supposed to open yeah. did it even get into previews it did it did. okay yeah but yeah it was yeah i was totally going to go see it too so i was gonna go see it yeah i was gonna go see it too and guess because who was in katrina it? link and my broadway boyfriend matt doyle yep I was just and, gonna say Matt Doyle. And, and, and Taylor old... Taylor's husband, uh Kyle Dean. Oh, Messi. okay. I didn't actually I did not know that. But also oh. Patty Lapone. Well, yes, which I would have been able to like go to the restroom or something during that number. <laughs> um, so the known songs, the little things you do together. Um it's a it's a, just a fun, silly song. Sorry, grateful, which I I just feel like this writing, I just it just gets me every time. Harry, you ever sorry you got married? You're always sorry. You're always grateful. You're always wondering what it might have been. Then she walks in, and still you're sorry, and still you're grateful, and still you wonder, and still you doubt, and she goes out. Everything's different. Nothing's changed. Only maybe slightly rearranged. You're sorry, grateful, regretful, happy. Why look for answers where none occur? You always are what you always were, which has nothing to do with all to do with her. You're sorry, grateful, regretful, happy. Why look for answers when none occur? You always are what you always were, which has nothing to do with all to do with her. I, I mean, like, how can you, like, what a description of a relationship. I, I just, it's such, it's, it's just fucking brilliant. And obviously, as bad as Sweeney Todd was, Sondheim obviously has some, some skills. Not gonna um, take that bait. So, um, Another Hundred People is probably, like, again, one of the most iconic songs of all time about New York City and the bustle of New York City. And, again, when I remember seeing this uh, at the Cleveland Playhouse, like, uh, everybody knows this lyric. So, I'm not, but I'm still going to read it. Another hundred people just got off of the train and came up through the ground, while another hundred people just got off of the bus and are looking around at another hundred people who got off of the plane and are looking at us who got off of the train and the plane and the bus. Another hundred people just got off of the train and came up through the ground, while another hundred people just got off of the bus and are looking around at another hundred people who got off of the plane and are looking at us who got off of the train and the plane and the bus maybe yesterday. 
maybe yesterday. Oh, that was a bad reading of that last line. Um, um, but that song will always be timeless. It, it is. It is. And even the stuff about like the connections and the, the you know, trying strang- to meet people the and date strangers yes, yes. and like, I'll call you next yes. Tuesday. And like, yes. all of that is so yes. like what it is to like live in urban existence. And yes. Live in, like, yes. Massive exactly. city like New York and like be trying to forge personal relationships. Yeah. And it's one of those things that when you think about writing a song about New York, yeah. that it can't, it just looms over you because you're like, how could you ever say anything? Yeah, just so because Lord knows we've tried to write uh, a song. We about have New so York fucking tried. So fucking a lot tried. of people have tried to write, write songs about New York, and they usually fail. Like it's true. Taylor it's Swift true. failed. Yep. Madonna. failed failed spectacularly oh my god that oh, that's, song, a, that's a that's um, a fun stupid song on a dance floor. Oh, so stupid so it's it's stupid. it's stupid but it's fun but yes this um, is a testament to sondheim's ability that you and it was written in fucking 1970 mm-hmm. well god knows when he actually wrote it, it might have been 69 no. um getting married today oh. which of course is another just fucking brilliant piece of theater that that really stands alone completely. I mean, that's one of the things about the musical, of course. It's not necessarily a paint-by-numbers plot. It's more of a series of vignettes, which was, at the time, uh, considered a little edgy and new. And um, and this is one of those things where it literally, you can just pull this out. When I was, when I was doing research for this, I stumbled upon, um, there's some show that I think like Manhattan Theater Club did or Manha- uh, MTC, no, MCC, that um, they do like, op- they, you know, they say like roles you'll never play. Oh, yeah, yeah, and so yeah, they yeah. had like Darren Chris. Yeah, um, yeah. So they had like a gay couple doing the wedding song. And I think it was like Darren Chris and maybe Andrew Rannells or something like that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it just stands alone as a little tiny piece of theater. And it's really, really brilliant and sweet and and moving and I have to tell you what I may be coming down with hepatitis and I think I'm gonna faint so if you want to see me faint I'll do it happily but wouldn't it be funnier to go and watch a funeral thank you for the 27 dinner plates 37 butter knives 47 paperweights 57 motherfuckers I am not getting married I am not getting married look I'm not getting married see I'm not getting married let us pray that we're not getting married today Obviously, the lady to lunch, which is an incredibly iconic song. I wouldn't say it was one of my favorites, even though I would. I can watch Elaine Stritch sing that, you know, till the cows come home. But, um, but yeah. Um, and then I realized that my actual introduction to this musical was through the song "Being Alive." And I bet you'll never be able to guess who's say, recording. I'm sure that it was like literally like Barbara. It was Barbara. Which is it, ridiculous. If you're going to listen to a diva perform this song, it is the answer is obviously Bernadette Peters, who oh. like, has like her interpretation. Like I like the I, her and Sondheim are like
I will list. Hey, hey, Sondheim rewrote lyrics for Barbara. So don't tell me about relationships. She he rewrote. He added verses for Send in the Clowns for her Broadway album. I All mean, right. everybody needs to pay that rent. <laughs> right? I think he was I think he was probably OK. Um, I mean, someone to hold me too close, someone to hurt me too deep, someone to sit in my chair and yeah. ruin my sleep and make me aware of being alive being alive make me alive make me confused mock me with praise i love that line let me be used very my days and this song even though uh i did read about and uh, as always my sources are usually wikipedia and imdb some combination thereof um i think i might have actually read a few other articles uh when i was when i was doing this but even though this song is sung by a man in the original production and has been traditionally sung by a man in all productions up until the one that was getting mm-hmm. ready to open on Broadway, where they made the the leading character female, um, the the song the the most notable recordings of this song have primarily been done by women, and that would include Barbara Bernadette. Bernadette. I mean, there was the list was enormous. Yeah, I didn't yeah, write sure. down all of these women who have recorded "Being Alive," but it's it's a it's obviously an enormously popular. Um, an incredible song. It's just one of those songs for me that it doesn't matter how many times I listen to it, I can oh, no. still be moved by it. And it's like um, a quintessential 11th hour. Yes, number. yes. It also, um, I didn't write this down, but I remember reading about it. It was not originally the ending. And uh, I think it was the fourth ending that Sondheim wrote and even though it is now obviously the ending Mm -hmm. he says he didn't ever feel it was actually the right song Mm -hmm. which is which is very strange and funny and interesting I thought um yeah I just love everything about this musical I love the the New York I love the fact that it's in New York I love the uh, what oh I was just gonna say I imagine that that is a very challenging song to write in that piece like because of what that show is and like what you said that it's sort of like all of these vignettes and like this protagonist is really like you know is on this like journey and searching and you know just trying to figure out like do you know i'm not going to say this very astutely but like you know does he is there another puzzle piece for him? Like, does he want there to be? I mean, it's just like right, the right. questions that that character is grappling and then like needing to, or trying to like tie that up in any sort of like satisfying way. I just, I, I feel like that would be a very difficult song to write. Oh, definitely. So that yeah. didn't surprise me at all that he took like four cracks at it. Like, because it's not even really answering a question mm-hmm. necessarily. Yeah, it's definitely you know, like existential. It, it's, yes, like, yes, yeah, questions, exactly. If you um, I mean, we all also know people who are single and mm-hmm. some people who are single like are like, yeah, I'm, yeah, I, I, I want to be single. single like, I don't want to fucking deal with all you that bullshit. Totally. Um, and then there are other people who are like, oh, yes, I wish I wasn't single. Right. And so that is and I think that that's that's another thing. It's just like one of those. It really has even though as we as we reference there's a lot of there's a lot of references that are time that are very antiquated but in terms of the concepts and yeah. the sort of emotional arcs of things like it's it's just it's just brilliant um okay i thought that this was a, just a couple of little side things the there was a film version 
supposedly in the works for a while. Sondheim once asked William Goldman, who, you know, is a major screenwriter, whether he would be interested in writing a screenplay for a film version of the musical. Goldman responded, Company is one of those great shows, along with Gypsy and Pal Joey. Never heard of Pal Joey. That I think of as the greatest quintessential, most beloved musicals. I remember seeing Company five times, and I loved it. And I had a huge problem, which was that the main character is obviously gay, but they don't talk about it. Hal, George, and Steve all claim it's about a straight guy with commitment problems. Anyway, I loved the show, and I figured out a way to change it, keep the score, but, but give it some narrative. Um, Herbert Ross was meant to direct, but Goldman says the director talked Sondheim out of doing the film. Mm. Then in 2010, there was speculation that Neil Labute would direct a film version, which I would think would be the most god-awful choice for <laughs> directing a, a, a musical of adaptation of Company. I mean, Neil Labute is known for just, you know, horribly dark cynical versions of american life and i would would, yeah i I can't imagine that he so but that was 2010 um if you have not yet seen this by the way there is this insane series that is made by john mulaney and seth meyers i was hoping you were called documentary now which was produced by ifc And they made an episode and it's amazing because like Helen, did you see it? I have seen, I have not seen okay. every episode of it, but like, I did you see this one? Yes. I specifically okay. sought out okay. this and I've seen a couple others and like the specificity, like it, it's like bananas. It's insane. Like Helen Mirren is like the host who introduces the episode and it's also very classic mm-hmm. and they, um, it's, it's introduced, it's basically a, a, a parody of the, um, the filming of the original cast recording, <laughs> except this musical is called Co-op because it's all it's all people who live in the same building, the Co-op building, so and it is amazing. Michael Fell, our producer, actually introduced me it, this to me this past summer. Um, there is a song where they are singing this lyric: the 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 brown and the beige yes. and the brown and the oh beige and the brown, yes. and it's just like, that is like such a brilliant Sondheim like <laughs> Sondheim esque. Ready but a And the brown and the beige and the brown and the beige and the beige and the brown With the brown and the beige and the brown and the beige yeah um, apparently, there is going to be a release of the full cast recording of this musical. Like they the actually one that's wrote the co-op, the yes, <laughs> of co-op, and it's going to be released in on vinyl. Like I just read oh about God. that earlier I today. We'll be getting that. Yes, like, I will we'll definitely be getting, be getting it. We'll definitely be getting it. <laughs> um, of 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 this uh, parody, Sondheim simply said, "I do think John Mulaney is very funny." <laughs> that's real. That's all. That was his. That was his full full comment. I mean, that's the best you're gonna get. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I exactly. Think John exactly. said something of that. You know. Yeah, I yeah. think I I read like a similar quote, where it was more like, I don't know why they spent their time doing this, but it was amusing. Sort of yeah. like something along the lines of that. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, that's company. 
that's I mean, my but you didn't like really talk about elaine like being 72 sheets to the wind like in the original documentary oh no like, i didn't like I, well, I think you and i watched that together i'm like, pretty sure i more, watched that with you more than one occasion like that mm-hmm. was uh, iconic and just yeah. like seeing them like you know behind the boards like totally like <laughs> a guest well he had they they sent her home she had yeah. to come back the next day to record it yeah she had to like go home and like <laughs> sleep splash some cold water on her face or something oh she was a piece of work oh my god i loved her like i don't remember if i talked about her on this podcast before how we did a symposium with her at musical theater works did i have i mentioned that on here and she showed up and she immediately barked uh one of our pas where's my coffee and then like before anybody could even respond she was like it should have been here yesterday um and then in addition to that she we had uh, uh, ordered a car for her to like pick her up to bring her to the symposium keep in mind that we were like a non-profit with like a budget annual budget of like a dollar 99 and we like went and like and we found out later like the next day or something like that that she had like called the car company and like let's say the let's say the car was supposed to pick her up at like 6 p.m to bring her to the symposium she called the car company and then like she had the car come like like late morning and she took it all over manhattan with her assistant shopping and like (laughs) racked up some like huge fucking car bill (laughs) like so much so (laughs) like cost us all this money yeah barking at our pa about her coffee should have been here yesterday but she was she was something she was entertaining as hell though well yeah as long as you weren't on the the receiving, receiving end, end of, of it yeah, oh yeah yeah oh you and we uh the doc her doc the documentary they made about her is fantastic too yes my favorite part in the whole thing is when she's like she's like out oh, some random venue in the middle of nowhere in like long island or something and then is it like superstorm sandy comes in i believe and so they have to cancel the show and she's like laying in bed or something and she was like do we still get paid yeah <laughs> yep and she's like yes paraphrasing but oh do love me some elaine stretch uh i wish i had seen her one woman show at town hall i I think william and wilson saw it she was literally she did elaine stretch at liberty she did that show across the street at the public theater when i was working at musical theater works and i never went to go see it like talk about theater regrets well yeah exactly i didn't really know exactly who she was i kind of knew better but you know just missed the mark and then didn't b arthur then did her own like shortly thereafter yeah 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 anyway i digress do you have anything else to say about the musical company company oh i'm sure that i have so much to say about it first i'm just like enthralled that you picked a sondheim musical although i did know that you liked this was an outlier for you and that you liked this musical um this is not curiously this is not my one of my favorite 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 sondheim musicals but it's definitely like in the top five uh and i and i really do enjoy it i also have never really seen like a like a broadway production of it i saw like my friend matt was in a college production of it uh, and i really enjoyed it quite a bit and i really do like the show and i saw the raul esparza version like on i think it was filmed for pbs or something yes 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 i did eventually get around to seeing it uh and yeah like you said the score is like fantastic and i like almost every song of the show um yeah and i was excited to go see what it was going to be like with that whole, like, gender flip situation me too um, and a gay couple mm-hmm. and yeah 
So, alas, it seems like that is on pause. All right. Well, we will move on from company. And the last word of season 20 episode, wait, season one, season episode 20, 20 <laughs> is you Talking hating on. Hating on a musical. I, you know, I don't hate this musical. I find it disappointing. Okay. I want to preface by saying that I've always wanted to like this show because there's a lot about it on paper that appeals to me. Um, it began as a quirky stage production from London and was one of the first popular musicals to, to depict fluid sexuality. And the film, based on the stage show, is a bona fide cult classic. That having been said, I sadly cannot say that I'm a fan of the Rocky Horror Show. <gasps> oh. <sighs> Yeah. Wow. I was like, I'm glad that we're doing this over, <laughs> oh, over wow. Zoom because I feel like you're going to like Oprah me. Um, anyway, wow. the okay. Rocky Horror Show, I feel like maybe you won't disagree with some stuff. I probably say, won't. But maybe probably you will, won't. and I'll be happy to hear you disagree because um, I feel like if anybody is going to defend the Rocky Horror Show, it probably should be you. So the Rocky Horror Show is a musical with music, lyrics, and book by Richard O'Brien. A tribute to the science fiction and horror B-movies of the 1930s through to the early 1960s, the musical tells the story of a newly engaged couple getting caught in a storm and coming to the home of a mad transvestite scientist, Dr. Frankenfurter, unveiling his new creation, a sort of Frankenstein-style monster in the form of an artificially made, fully grown, physically perfect muscle man named Rocky, complete with with blonde hair and a tan. Uh, The couple are seduced separately by did i mention that that it's a couple yes the couple yes, got in yeah, storm. Yeah. the couple are seduced separately by the mad scientists and eventually released by the servants who take control the show was produced and directed by jim Sharman. the original london production of the musical premiered at the royal court theater in june 1973 it later moved to several other locations in london and closed in september 1980 long ass run the show ran for a total of 2960 performances and won the 1973 evening standard theater award for best musical the musical was adapted into the 1975 film the rocky horror picture show my experience with the show is strictly from the film which became known to me during the same summer i became obsessed with jesus christ superstar i'm laughing because literally everything (laughs) is related to a two to three year period (laughs) junior high school it's true (laughs) it's like literally ridiculous okay so anyway i learned i got really into musical theater let's just say those those couple years uh but yeah this became known to me during the the same summer i became obsessed with jesus christ superstar uh this time it was via word of mouth my uh suburban neighborhood pool buddy tito that i mentioned before he had an older sister who was sort of by default cooler than us. She was kind of like, oh, hey, if you like Jesus Great Superstar, then you'll definitely like this. She'd gone to a local midnight showing and was like really into it. <clears throat> Pretty sure she had. That's kind it. of hysterical because I, I, I don't think that they're alike at all. Right. 
I not mean, at all. like, if you like <laughs> Superstar, well, you're definitely going like, to love this. It's great. basically like they're both musicals. <laughs> right. I mean, that's sort of where it, it ends. <laughs> Oh my god. It's like well, I have a gay friend, maybe you'd like to totally date him, you know, that sort of thing. Right along those lines. Uh, <laughs> right. I have an Asian friend too. Exactly. <laughs> Don't get along. Oh Jesus. Um Jesus Christ, superstar. Uh yeah, so she, I think so she had the VHS, so we we gave it a we gave it a watch, if you will. Um I definitely enjoy some aspects of the show and the film which is what makes the whole show as a whole so frustrating to me. For me, it's very much like a sum of its parts type situation where I feel like it could have been something better, but it like just misses the mark. Um, I, I love the opening sequence of the film, the song science fiction double feature. It's like this extreme creepy close up of a disembodied mouth with bright red lipstick singing like kind of fucked up and inviting lyrics and it definitely like establishes that you're about to see something odd also generally appreciate the intention and spirit of the show i would say that it for the most part succeeds at high camp um and there's several songs that in isolation i definitely enjoy uh i like there's a light over at the frankenstein place that song has like just a really killer chorus and i feel like it's just right in terms of like beckoning the young couple into the mad scientist's home Also, Time Warp, it's, it's like an undeniable I mean, rock. Yeah. It's like so fun yeah. to dance to. And it's like absolutely nonsensical in a way that makes for like good pop music. So I love that song. Um, I also love Janet's song, Touch It, Touch It, Touch Me. Uh, yep. It's another solid, catchy pop song. Actually, that's probably my favorite song and scene in concept. I mean, because what's not to like? It's essentially a revenge sex song. Uh, in the scene, Janet has just discovered that the mad scientist Frankenfurter has had sex with her boyfriend, Fred, Fred, Brad, Fred, Fred. <laughs> so it's, we've hit that part of the podcast where nothing can come out. Uh, so anyway, so she, she, she responds by having revenge sex with the creature Rocky while the characters of Magenta and Columbia watch them doing it. A friendly it's 
it's fun and kinky and i love that janet's the one doing the seducing the lyrics are like frantic and urging and it definitely works um but i'm supposed to be talking about a musical that i don't necessarily like and the, everything that i've mentioned are sort of the highlights for me unlike little shop of horrors which also which we've talked about of course which also also took inspiration from cheesy sci-fi b movies there isn't any like nuance or arc to the story or complex characters that care carry you through the general absurdities of the plot in rocky horror everyone's just like this deliberate caricature and as a result i find the experience just to be really empty it tries really hard to be shocking and zany but it ends up just being like completely boring um, I want to stop and talk a little bit about, about the Frankenfurter character and like after I say my piece, maybe get your opinion on it. Um, because oh, yeah. I've always found that character just like a little bit complicated. The character has all these vampy songs and costumes and like winking shtick. So you're kind of being coaxed to root for them in like a dark and funny way. But then the character is like, also a calculating sexual predator that's building a lifelike sex robot so given our penchant for like writing unpalatable principal characters you'd think i'd be all over that juxtaposition but when i first saw it i like did not get it it was i was like viscerally oh turned God. off by it and it didn't seem funny to me it like the word i was thinking that i would use is like grotesque it just seemed like grotesque to me and then like <clears throat> piled on top of like just the character and their actions they're presenting in like some sort of trans fashion i mean they refer to themselves obviously as transsexual and i could never really no just... they refer to themselves as a transvestite from oh, transsexual thank you thank you, thank you, thank you. yes so well and so that i could never really just wrap my head around that element like was it inclusive and lighthearted and fluid and free or was it like shock value and playing for cheap laughs and unnecessary and offensive like i just never really like could wrap my head around it or cared enough frankly about the show to like do any homework and also i was kind of like hmm maybe don't overthink a camp musical about like an alien transvestite but this weekend of course i was like well i i feel like i mean i'm bringing this up so i gotta i gotta bring this up like i'm as a topic so I did. I did some like bare minimum, bare minimum reading up on uh, Richard O'Brien, who was the writer who also played the character of Riff Raff. I don't remember if I mentioned that. Uh, O'Brien has spoken in the past about ongoing struggles to reconcile gender roles, and has self-described as being transgender or possibly of a third sex. Uh, in a 2013 interview, O'Brien talks about using estrogen and viewed themselves as 70% male and 30% female. So I read that and was kind of like, oh, okay. But then on the other hand, I also read that in 2017, O'Brien came under some controversy when coming out in support of statements by radical feminists Jermaine Greer and Barry Humphreys, known for his alter ego as Dame Edna, that transgendered women were not real women. So I'm just going to kind of leave that there. I mean, who in the world knows what O'Brien thinks like here and now, you know, it just but it definitely seems like a gray area. And this character is just a gray area for me but i mean it is worth noting that in the 2016 television film on fox trans actress laverne cox played the role of frankenfurter and while the special received mixed to negative reviews she was mostly praised i thought she was i thought she was good in it i mean i did slog my way through it even though i was like oh my god i just really don't like this show um 
I didn't uh, with, see it. Yeah, but for you, I didn't react, see it. I will also say the original actor playing Frankenfurter was, of course, Tim Curry, who will always and forever be near and dear to my heart for his role in another and much better cult film, that being Clue. But I can definitely acknowledge that it's like an iconic performance in this role. Like he's like chewing the scenery. Um, it's 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 really fucking interesting in with everything that has happened and I'm glad that you brought it up because I don't think that I really even think about it that much because mm. I was introduced to it in high school. Ironically, I think I can say ironically in this case by like who was my best friend at the time. Um, sadly, we do not speak anymore because he has become very, very conservative and very um, uh, religious. So he, even though he introduced me to a lot of like, pretty edgy things including mm -hmm. rocky horror lou reed who was also you know um i think uh, dated a transsexual like in the 70s or 80s um or was possibly even i can't remember if he was married to someone who was transsexual but anyway had introduced me to a lot of like really edgy things and then i became and and yes my main frame of reference is also the film still right yeah. I, I i actually find it really difficult because that's Tim Curry is, I mean, when I saw that movie, I was like, oh my God, I want to be Frankenfurter. That was, <laughs> I had that, I, and I did, I, 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 um, at Kansas State University, every Halloween, they put on the Rocky Horror Picture Show yeah. at this massive theater on campus, and everybody would get dressed up. And two years in a row, I won the costume contest because I had a good friend who was a costume designer, and she <laughs> made me those costumes that looked exactly, yeah. well, you remember, like, I yeah. we went on a Halloween once when I was Frank yeah. Inverter, and you were really pissed off at me because I wouldn't, I wouldn't break character. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I was so pissed at you. It was like, do we need to do this during the in-between? in between times which well actually well just before you continue let's just we we talked about uh during the love janice episode about uh, go-to karaoke songs when we were talking about laura Branigan, and i mentioned that gloria was sort of my go-to but i think yes. i was gonna yes. say i think i can i can confidently say that like sweet transvestite is your go-to song it, i mean how well many, it, i mean how many oh. times would you say oh. A Countless. few cocktails and that the ground floor of the duplex, you would ask whoever the pianist. Uh, countless, countless times. Was. I've had to pay Brian Nash like like a 20 before for him to finally let me sing that fucking song. <laughs> and the thing is, is that by the time I get to the point where I'm paying him a 20, I can't even sing it anymore because I have had way too much to drink. Don't get strung up by the way I look. Don't judge a book by its cover. Not much of a man by the light of day, but by night I'm one hell of a lover. I'm just a sweet transvestite from transsexual Transylvania. And like some slurring, so yeah, no yeah, lyrics. yeah, exactly, uh, exactly. Sounds like, uh, oh god, what's her name? Uh, Ariana Grande in terms of the uh, the enunciation. Oh, I'm sure it's worse than that, but <laughs> but um, yeah. So I I really it, it's funny that you're talking about junior high and and this moment <laughs> in college because it wasn't high school. I think I was like fascinated by it but when i got to when i got to college and i was in the theater department i was like oh this is sort of a 
vehicle for my sexuality. Mm. And I mm-hmm. think that, so I started dressing up as Frank like every Halloween and and sometimes we'd have costume parties and I would dress up as Frank and, and you know, just, I rem- it's so interesting because it was this, yeah, there was something, you know, one of the things that I think is interesting about it and that and that I find it like, I don't know, I guess I find it challenging to have someone like Laverne Cox play it is because I see the part as being more like what Richard O'Brien is saying, like 70% yeah. male and 30% female, you know, yeah. there's this out, outrageousness to it, to him, sorry, um, I mean, that's a good question. Like, is he referred? I think he refers to himself as a. I as had a, male a hard time figuring that in the out. show. That's a good question. Yeah. I don't actually know the the answer to that question. But, but anyway, I had a deep experience with that character for many years, and it probably wasn't until, gosh, like, thirty or you know early thirties that I sort of stopped doing that at Halloween. I still, I think, I still have those costumes, but I haven't put any of them on in a long time. They might not fit quite as well as they used to, but, you know, they were stretchy fabric, so (laughs) I could probably get them on. Um, But, yeah, I think that I think the character, I mean, you're right. He is all of those things. And I think part of the the arc, which I agree with you, is I was just talking with this about this with someone. It might have been Don. It might have been Russ and Steve um, that everything just kind of falls apart for me in the last like 10 minutes. Like there's no rhyme or reason to what's happening. And, but at the same time, you kind of said there is something that he's like this, there is this predatorialness about him and that he's trying to sort of turn everyone into this, like just mash of like orgasmic, you know, fluid fluidity and and but the problem is is that we never before that moment at the end we're never told that anyone's unhappy about it right and that's the part that like even if there had just been like some little clues then maybe when those when riffraff and magenta turn against him at the end it wouldn't be so weird and out of left field that like why is this happening like why is he suddenly now a villain you know I mean, the plot, the entire plot, if you can call it, is just totally what the fuck to me. Like, it loses me pretty early on. Like, in the film, I would say the jump the shark moment for me is Meatloaf, not the culinary abomination, but like the artist. So, like, when he bursts through the wall on the motorcycle and starts singing Hot Patootie, Bless, Bless My, my soul, soul, which is with this wildly generic 50s style rock song, it was, I was just like, I'm tapping out. Like,. That's just, before, isn't that before Touch a Touch a Touch a Touch Me? Yeah, but that's yeah. when things start to sour for me. And then come briefly, briefly back for Touch a Touch a Touch Me. And then, but then, yeah, like the last like half of it or third of it, it's like a relentless auditory assault, like be more chill and all of these like wild hijinks, but like nothing that you like just remotely care about. And I always just find myself just like wanting the house to like implode, like the end of Carrie. But there is, 
the incredible Frankenfurter ballad, I'm Going Home. Not really. Oh my God. I was this weekend. I, I, I was like listening to the song. entire like soundtrack and I was cleaning the apartment and like I was cleaning one room when I turned that song on. And then I went and cleaned an entire other room. And then I came back and I was like, oh my God, that fucking song is still going on. It is gloriously long and satisfying. I was like, good lord. I love that song. I love that song. No, thank you. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just, like, I totally get, I can totally see how you could use that character as, like, a vehicle for, like, one's sexuality. And, like, I just, but, yeah, I think everything I, I just everything i said i just it still feels like just this gray area to me and it's mostly just because the character is act it just seems grotesque and like i just don't really like get it like it doesn't do a good job of like explaining itself well like, it, why does that element I, exist i think that um and I, I i yeah i still love this musical i will always love this musical and i will always listen to it but but um i do think that it's a it's like for me, it's it's again, it's sort of like lightning striking in a way, in a, obviously in a very different way than mm-hmm. what we were talking about earlier. But it's lightning striking with chaos. Like it's just, it is it is so chaotic, and for some reason, all of these chaotic pieces until that last little bit. And I mean, for me, it's a little probably further along where mm-hmm. I'm just like, okay, okay, let let's yeah, let's get everyone <laughs> off the screen, you know. Um. It just, it's just, it just magically fits together in a way that. So you think it's like a, a, a alien transvestite noises off or something? Yes, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and nice. everybody in it. I mean, those. I mean, and again, I'm talking about the movie. I think it's really hard to follow it because Tim Curry, as you said, fucking Susan Sarandon. I mean. The, the the people who play Magenta and Columbia, the fact that Meatloaf was in it. I mean, what the fuck? What you know, just fuck? like it was such a random assemblage Hodge of people. Hodge. And they I would all... use the word clusterfuck. <laughs> I think clusterfuck is a good, is an appropriate word for this, for this musical. Yeah, and it's like this movie. everything about it is a clusterfuck. Uh, interestingly, just FYI, both in terms of the stage show and the film, it was kind of a mixed bag in terms of the reception. Like I mentioned at the top that the London production was like super successful, but the original Broadway production, which I didn't even remember that there was one was not, it was planned to open just before the film's release and serve as a public vehicle for the film version, but it was not successful and closed after 45 performances. Wow. Uh, In 75 or 74. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, and then of course we know that the film was critically panned when it was released. Um, and as of course we know, it soon became known as a midnight movie when audiences began participating with the film at the Waverly theater in New York in 1976. Um, audience members returned to the cinemas frequently and talked back to the screen and began dressing as the characters spawning similar performance groups across the U S um, and then they started doing the whole shadow cast thing where people were like yeah. timing the actions on screen above and 
and behind them while lip syncing characters' lines. Like, I'm a total sucker for camp classics, and I definitely love that audiences found and embraced this movie, and that it was like this grassroots sort of interactive element type thing. Um, and you know what? I would like, I would totally go to a midnight showing of this. Like, I would totally go to it, uh, especially now. Where I'm so fucking well, bored. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Although it'll probably be a while. I mean, you I don't would think obviously Cuomo's going to allow it. No, no. In person, uh, Rocky Horror Midnight sh- uh, showings. You would obviously dress up as Frankenfurter. I would have to. I, I feel I'm... like the the septuagenarian or octogenarian <laughs> Frankenfurter. <laughs> You'll be in the old age home writing musicals dressed up as Frankenfurter. <laughs> where's my wig uh, where's, where's my, my wig? wig i can't find my garter belt i uh i think i would want to be magenta honestly yeah but you'd probably be cast as riffraff or columbia riffraff or columbia i don't want to be yeah. columbia why you get the tap number oh my god i totally forgot about that that's as random as fucking xanadu exactly. we haven't even exactly. talked about xanadu but we'll get there <laughs> one of these days but like a tap number i mean what the hell Oh, so you uh, actually cast wise, you mentioned Susan Sarandon, Barry Bostwick. Yeah, I actually like was trying not to talk about her. I've enjoyed her her performances in the past, and I generally think people are nuanced, and I don't really support knee jerk cancel culture. But I do think her politics suck donkey balls, which is immature of me because Lord knows she's been dragged. She has, but I, I still have my bee in a bonnet. Uh, but again, like turning it around with Oprah, if I'm going to end with her on love and positivity, I do think it's really cool that she started an international chain of franchise table tennis clubs and bars. What? Yeah. Seriously? <laughs> yes. It's called spin. Uh, like she owns like table tennis <laughs> bars, which is like, I already knew this about her like before you know i was like researching this what because it's so random and i was always like that's pretty cool i was like i would go to one of those yeah she got like really into table tennis like ping pong yes like ping pong (laughs) (laughs) she owns ping pong bars it's like there's a franchise of them called spin <laughs> I am. I still feel like you're lying to me no, because you do that all the I do, time. I do do that a lot, which is just make up shit and see if you believe me. But like, I'm a thousand percent uh, telling you the truth. <laughs> okay, I had no idea that 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 was happening. Oh, okay, I mean, do you not think her politics suck? But I do. I do. I, I'm just I, trying I, to alienate every one of our last listeners in these last two episodes. I think <clears> that. <throat> um, look, I think that she has some valid points Mm. but i don't necessarily think that just because you're right about something that it's helpful right i think that's my problem but but right now i don't know if you're aware of this but she has said she will totally vote for biden and she encourages people to vote for biden and after which she is going to work on breaking up the two-party system Mm. because that is what she believes is the true evil which is not un True. Yeah, it's so not totally it's a, wrong. But... It's a difficult, but I do believe I mean, I that, that I was in the immature, last election, but... like uh, I think she, I think she, I mean, who knows what her reach is and, and how much damage she did, but I do yeah. think people that it hurt like her that encouraged third party voters put us in the situation that we are in today. Right, and that's thus still the bee in the bonnet about her. Yeah, but uh, yeah, 
Yep. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. There's a guy on Twitter that's like aligned with her that I respond to like almost every one of his tweets these days. And Scott and John is John's like, um, wow, you're really going after that guy. And I'm like, well, he needs to understand. <laughs> Which, by the way, no one is as more politically engaged as you are because checking your mail, like I was laughing with Chris, I'm like, I have never met somebody that gets so much like political like pamphlets and material in the mail like it's insane you go like yeah. three days and you have a mailbox full of stuff i was yes. like he's just signing up for everything <laughs> yep or just i mean it's like you give 20 bucks and yeah. you're on 16 oh, yeah, sure. other mailing lists you know <laughs> so um uh wow well i don't know i mean we really came to a solid consensus on right no but that's okay i understand i i don't i don't uh i certainly don't negate your arguments and i and i do i do get them like i said i think i i must have been dawn and i were talking about this and just how how this for us i think her and i are probably more aligned in when it falls apart and mm. you're you're it, it it's falls not apart much meat, earlier it's not for you. meatloaf uh, no bursting through the wall on no I, you could argue that meatloaf is actually a a plot point that mm. helps us to understand that not everything frankenfurter does is fun or good mm. uh because he's hidden this past lover away and then of course axes him like you know basically in front of everybody um but it's it, what's what's fascinating about that moment is that he it doesn't necessarily like reverberate rever <laughs> I can't speak. <laughs> reverberate. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily sort of reverberate among the, the, the characters in a way that has any like impact on the story. Mm. So you kind of just are like, okay, well, <laughs> and let's all are. go back to work, you know? And, and, and yeah. So if, if there was suddenly like, oh my God, this is one more thing he's done and we have to stop him, then I feel like maybe you would expect or like there would be some cause and effect with with some of the plot points in in the story put this next to little shop of horrors yeah like yeah the, well the book there is no comparison no... in those two things but you also have to give credit to um richard o'brien i mean little shop of horror was based on an existing film which yeah. which you know had had already gone through some iteration richard o'brien wrote this god knows what he was doing and what he was on when he decided to write this musical but Share, he was please. he was writing everything yeah and and none of it really made any sense yeah. i mean like, like i said i do appreciate like the scrappiness of it and like like i probably if i'd seen it like in its early in its run in london yeah. i probably would have enjoyed oh. it you know in the same way i mean it's a lot better than this show but like i love going to down to like uh what does it call it theater for the new city and seeing like the charles charles bush and the his yeah. troop of actors and those plays yeah. and everything i feel like you know it would be a similar feeling to that where i mean those yes. are like i would yes. say like a little a lot more cohesive yep. than rocky horror but um but yeah i i feel like i i could i could enjoy i could enjoy it in in, in that sort of setting but, but yeah uh, as a film or god forbid paying like uh broadway prices i know as, like, when broadway it was on broadway show. with joan jett i was like i i mean it was at a time when i yeah didn't really have the money to do it but i was also like i'm not I'm not going to like it. Like I yeah. just knew I wasn't going to like it. Joan Jett. Yeah, I think Joan Jett played Columbia actually. Oh, pretty sure. Random. Yeah. Wow. So. Oh, um. Well. Well. 
season. That's a wrap. We've, we have arrived. Wow. I, I mean, it. I guess that's all we can say. We did it. We've been doing it. That's what we usually say after a production. Well, we did it. (laughs) That was exhausting. What's that? Yeah. Um, Um, Well, we look forward to to talking to you some more. Yes. We're going to live some life for a little bit. And we're also going to regroup on how we might want to approach season two. We're just tossing some ideas around. Yeah. If you have if you have ideas and you're among the three three remaining listeners, feel free to reach out to us. Feel free yeah. to also, you know, give us a good review. Say, yeah. Say, yeah. Um, I don't know that I think Oprah Winfrey is a terrible actress. Um, agree with us. Disagree with us. But but preferably five stars on um, podcasts. Yeah, Apple actually, podcasts. just put five stars, but then write something really nasty. Ooh, that's good. That's always nice and yeah. confusing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, are they joking, or they, did did they not understand how the five star system works? <laughs> Oi. All right. All right. I'm gonna you know make some tea or something. Alrighty then. Um, Farewell, listeners. Take some Enjoy. Richard. Put some Richard O'Brien drugs in it. Stay warm. Go night night. It's, it's becoming. It's becoming. You know. It's. It's going to be winter soon. It's. I hate to break it to you. It's been winter for a while. No, it's not. Metaphorically speaking. Oh well. Okay. Yeah. Um, All right. On that posi- note of positivity, there is no hope. And no hope. We look forward no hope. to uh, to to more. Goodbye. More hopelessness. Bye.